ready to take another trip down that black hole in time that takes us back to another time, another era, and a lost sensibility. <laughs> this time, let's let's go back to Weimar Germany, <laughs> which are between the wars before the rise of Hitler. Hmm. 1920s. So possibly some music that inspired Hitler is what you're saying. No, no. This, this Hitler hated all this music. He did. Yeah, this jazz, degenerate jazz influenced by Negroes that came up in oh, Berlin in the to, right? 1920s. Hmm. But, you know, when you listen to it, it's most of it's pretty remote from anything, you know, like American, you know, Negro, you know, Negro inspired jazz but right. <laughs> it's still i i kind of like it myself that's why i have a lot you know it's hard to find because hitler had a shellac drive during the war and it gathered up all the records and, and melted them down for to coat we had the same thing in this shells. country they had the same thing in america but i think in, under hitler it was more like you will hand over your records right <laughs> i'm sure so a lot of this music didn't survive. Their conceptions about jazz were, you know, tended to be kind of crazy. And this is a this is a record by George Boulanger and his orchestra. Boulanger was a gypsy fiddler, huh. and he had this kind of, you know, sort of experimental art music thing that they were doing. Huh. This is probably about 1927. It's called Mitropa.
But too many people can say they've heard anything like that before. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm walking around and talking, can you still hear me on the microphone? Yeah, I mean, I can't hear you too good over there, but usually what happens is you say a few words over there and turn around. It's fine. We're, we can hear it. We're very forgiving on the internet because everything's free. Remember that, people. All the show's free. So you should be sending me your records. You should be sending me your grandfather's Paramount store stock records. <laughs> you will obey Jeanette, me. So I guess I won't bother. Yes, Electro Beams will take Jeanette's too. We'll take them all. Gosh. Send them all to me. It's the least you can do for the right. service I provide you. Indeed. Sometimes you have to yell at people to get right. your point across. Okay, this is a band co called Weintraub Syncopators. Interesting story, too. They they, uh, they were on tour in the early 30s, and uh, when they were out of the country, when Hitler took over, and half the band were Jewish guys, so they decided not to go back to Germany. So when huh. Hitler took over in 33, they went to Soviet Union and and played there for a couple of years, huh. and then they they got in some kind of trouble with the communist with Stalin's government. So then they 
they went to Japan. <laughs> and they stayed around Imperial Japan for a while. And, you know, when they when Japan started they're getting playing to, music the whole time? Yeah, 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 they were playing music. And when, and when things got too kind of, you know, sensitive in Japan, they went to Australia. Right at the beginning of World War II, they ended up in Australia. So the Australian government looked at where they had been. Okay, they left Nazi Germany. They went to the Soviet Union. Then they went to Imperial Japan. So the Australians put them in a concentration camp for the entire period of the war. (laughs) They were in a a camp. (laughs) Then after the war... They all made it out? Yeah, after the war, half the members went back to Germany and about half of them stayed in Australia. My friend Tony Baldwin knew one of these guys had been in this band. No kidding. When he lived there in the 80s in Australia. Did he play music with them? Or? I, no, I don't think so. But he talked to him, you know. Yeah. Spent a lot of time talking to him about, you know, those the days during Weimar Germany playing music. And they, they were big. They played in Weintraub syncopators and big uh, stage shows and stuff in uh, Berlin. And I think they're even, they might be the band in that movie, The Blue Angel. I don't know. That, uh, who's it, who's it, that Marlene Dietrich film about, you know, with uh, Emil Jannings, where he's like this pompous German professor, and he falls in love with this, like, this low-life showgirl who's in this local cabaret, and, you know, it's Marlene Dietrich, I think it's 1930, 31, something like that. It's great, great movie. Huh, the see. Blue Angel. Eden's mom is always telling her, you look like Marlene Dietrich. What? That's what she says. <laughs> Eden seen, looks like Marlene I've Dietrich. I've pictures. Uh, it's not even close, right? <laughs> I'm fascinated by this whole uh, Weimar thing, because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's all, all this kind of dance music. It's mostly in Berlin. And it's, it's kind of like this forced gaiety, you know? Just <laughs> yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, such the, gloom there. That brown shirts are out there just waiting to like bust the windows and come in here and stop all the fun. Yeah, un- unbelievable, believable band that we just heard. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Here's another one that's really captures the mood of that time. This is by the Dobry Saxophone Orchestra. What's it called? It's called Ich Hol Dir. Oh, I forget it's all. Jam Himmel das Blau. Okay. Was er will, 
Dann wird's von den Opfern ganz still. Man weiß, jeder brach, was er versprach. Trotzdem gibt's jede Nacht. Another good band. Yeah. An interesting mood to yeah. it. Yeah. That, that a little more melancholy. Yeah, foreboding mood that that music has. Yeah. Here's a piano solo called Jazz Devil. Oh. German also? Yeah. Weimar period. Peter Irvin. The thing you got to keep in mind with this Weimar popular music like this is that, you know, you have like this prejudice about the Nazis and all that, but this music is very dominated by Jews. In Berlin at that time, the whole entertainment business was was largely Jewish. I mean, the entertainers themselves were yeah, Jewish, right? Yeah, the impresarios were Jewish. The entertainers, a lot of the musicians were Jewish. The composers were often Jewish. That made wrote the songs and wrote the shows and ran the cabarets. And Is there any reason why that was the way it was? Or it's just a, a place for Jews in society in those days was, you know, a, as in the film business in America, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the same thing. It was just a, something that they naturally seemed, you know, uh, gravitated towards since it's one of, one of the things that was open to them. You know, journalism, medicine to some degree, law to some degree, and in, I'm talking about the old world, Germany and Eastern Europe and all that. Entertainment, you know. It was entertainment was slightly disreputable, you know, so right, a lot right. of Jews. My friend Tony Baldwin did a in-depth investigation of Gene Goldkett. Oh really? Oh. <laughs> he investigated his family going back to Europe and they were like circus performers for like two hundred years in, in Europe. Wow. And then the name changed as they went from one country to another, so it was very hard to trace. They changed their name. Oh, I guess that was common. Yeah. Among Jews, especially, and Jewish people involved in these um, occupations in which they shifted around a lot, and, you know, it was, it was very interesting what he found, you know. Goldcat had one of my favorite American dance bands. Oh, yeah, great yeah. band. Yeah. Okay, I'll play this 
Peter Irvin record. Okay. Jazz Devil. <laughs> it's very eccentric, odd. <laughs> Some idea of what, how strange it must have been in that period in Germany. You know, yeah. it's strange. You know, th- that record reminds me. You played me so many great uh, piano records, which hmm. I never really huh. hear anywhere else. Oh, yeah. Things like you know, uh, Harry Snodgrass, Long oh, right. Shore, <laughs> you know, interesting. Uh, I mean, stuff like that. I was never even aware of until you played it for me. And I, I, I love listening to these piano solos. Yeah, that, that 
up that French Canadian one I played the other day. Yeah, that was amazing. Phil Chartier. Yeah, I'd love to hear uh, anything like that. Yeah. But I mean, you can keep going with this German stuff because it's very, very interesting. I didn't mean to, you know, get sidetracked. There's so much to listen to. Yeah. This is another German band. This is called Eccentric by Jack Bund hmm. and his Bravoure Dance Band. <laughs> about piano playing yeah jeez great yeah jack bund is he the piano player or? i think so yeah yeah fantastic yeah that's good this is uh this is kind of polish art music that's a nice label I'm gonna i, picture I of found that. this at the flea market in paris found these two records together wow two of them and I just bought them on a chance. They're so strange looking. I had no idea what this, what was going to be on here. Yeah, it's a really odd looking label. Yeah. When is that from, the, roughly? I thought I know. Probably sometime in the, I would say in the th late 30s. Huh. 
It has lead-in grooves, so I think it's probably, you know, 36, 37, 38 in there somewhere. It's the, the Lespin Quartet. It's like some kind of art music that's, that's so filled with anxiety and, and tension. <laughs> you know, it's, it could be a good movie soundtrack. something horrible yeah no kidding Jeez. Yeah. they knew it was coming after all yeah it's a very odd record this i mean the label and everything is very strange it's made in france hmm. but the it says this popular it's an orchestra polonaise and that the composer somebody named jimon lax hmm. that's the first movement Oh, I think that actually the name of the piece is the Lespine Quartet. I think it's actually the name of the piece. It says it's the f first movement of four parts. Oh, yeah, a Czech record. This is nice. This is about, <coughs> this is about 1931 or 32, made in Prague hmm. by an orchestra leader named Jezek. He was a uh, very popular 
band leader in Prague at that time. Played at like the biggest, fanciest hotel, nightclub, and you know, led orchestras for shows and stuff. This and is like a dance orchestra? Yeah, it's a kind of a show band. He composed this piece called Bugatti Step. Mm. You know, like Bugatti, like the car. Right. <coughs> Actually, me and that guy Michael Freund, when I was in Vienna, I told him about this Bugatti stuff. He said, let's look on YouTube. And we found like on YouTube, two different like performances on piano of this piece by, one was by this lady and the other by this, by this kid who was pretty good actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of sort of ragtimey. You know what you're going to find on YouTube. Fantastic band. Yeah. Prague, 1931. Wow. That's yeah. great. What label is that on? It's an Ultraphone label. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which actually was pan-European, but its headquarters were in Prague. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They had a branch in France. They made French records. They also made German records. Yeah, they have a lot of Musette records. That you yeah, that's there. right. Yeah. yeah. They did a lot of Musette. There was a good label. It, it vanished in 1936. Huh. Actually, 1936... 
A lot of European labels disappeared for some reason. I don't know why. A whole bunch of these smaller companies. 1936. I don't know why. Probably because they were probably run by Jews. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. I actually did talk to an old guy, guy in his 80s. I met at a party in New York a couple of years ago named Borchard, who's was the brother, or maybe it was the nephew or something of this other Borchard guy that had been involved in Polydor in Germany and France in the 20s and 30s. The Borchard family, I think, might have even owned the company it's, or something like that. And okay. they, they, he wasn't Jewish, but I think his wife was Jewish. This, the guy, this guy Borchard, that, who made all these really interesting records in France in the in the 20s and 30s very hip guy and he was also responsible for importing masters from Brunswick from America and issuing some kind of pretty amazing American records in Europe even there's even like one Philips jug band record that was issued on French Brunswick <laughs> interesting <laughs> yeah but then you know things started like uh, getting bad in the 30s and and I guess right at the end of the 30s when the Nazis took over France, Borchardt had to get his wife out of there. So he, he managed somehow to get his wife across the border into Spain. Which And Franco, God love him, didn't have anything against Jews and didn't, didn't hand over Jews to the Nazis or persecute Jews. For some reason he was indifferent about Jews. So uh, it was, if you got into Spain you were kind of safe. But then you had to get out of Europe. So Borchardt's wife came to America, and he followed shortly after. And then he was very successful in America, founding an electronics sound engineering company yeah. in the... in the. That's the same company, Philips, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's Philips, huh? I'm assuming, I mean, the American electronics company Philips must yeah. be the same. Huh, I don't know, not sure. Huh. And this guy, this Borchard that I met, you know... I asked him all about that. He first he was kind of reluctant to talk about it, but then he could see that I was like earnestly interested in that and in in and Borchard's accomplishments for Polydor, because Polydor was like a bunch of other German like Odeon and Gramophone. They very actively pursued recording like regional music all over Europe and even in uh, in North Africa. So this Polydor records and and Polyphone, which was a branch of theirs from all corners of Eurasia that are really interesting, incredible, and he was very much part of that, this guy Borchard, but the Nazis put a stop to all that stuff. They, it's, a, it's really a shame because, you know, before that you had all these elements in German society that were quite enterprising and doing interesting stuff and the Nazis, you know, they killed it all and, and really killed the reputation of Germany, destroyed Germany's reputation as a, you know, bastion of interesting culture and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about uh, Hitler's ability to, you know, control people in, in that, that time and what he accomplished uh, as far as uh, from a standpoint of you know, yeah, you propaganda and mind yeah, control. They were really good at it. I recently, you know, that house that Sophie moved into, 
this, it was owned by this English people before, and they had left some books there. And one of the books they left there was um, this book written by um, Goebbels, you know, the propaganda minister of the Nazi Germany, Joseph Goebbels, mm -hmm. in 1935. Wow, that was I don't know what it was doing there among all these kind of like detective novels and stuff. And I I asked the people if I could have it and they said, "Yeah, we don't care." So I brought it home and read it. It's really eye-opening to read this book written by, you know, published in 1935, written by Goebbels. What's he talking about? Well, he considered himself and Hitler and all of them part of like a revolutionary movement. They've considered themselves revolutionaries. It was a revolution, you know. And so in that context, yeah, revolutions can be rough, you know. Revolutions are always rough. You gotta like maybe kill some people. You gotta overturn some institutions, you know, in order to bring about this new But in world. their case, what was the revolution about? What were they Well, against? that was a little bit vague. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Goebbels is not himself not clear about it. You know, their economic uh philosophy and stuff was really quite muddled quite you know muddy they played around with ideas of socialism but it was mixed with a kind of fascism which is basically s corporate state top-down rule where the, you know you it's it's the Ayn Rand idea you have this like supermen basically running things you know and it's capitalist but it's also state capitalism the state and the corporations are Kind of like now in the United States. Right, exactly <laughs> what we have now. Yeah, it's corporate state fascism, basically, in the right. U.S. now. You know, That's what they call with capitalism. The, the veneer of democracy over it. But you didn't hear that from me. I didn't say that. <laughs> now, that's my opinion. I'll, I'll take that one. That's, <laughs> that's John's opinion. Don't come after poor Crumb. He don't know what he's saying. He's oh, crazy. Crumb, who's he? He left the room. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's gone. That was me talking, man. Keep on trucking, this, John Hennigan. Yeah. Sometimes I sound like Crumb. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, what about uh, uh, Gene Gene Goldcat? What's, what's your favorite Goldcat record? We were uh, talking about him earlier. I, I've been thinking about. Oh yeah, my favorite Goldcat. What's record. your favorite? I'm trying to remember. There's this one that just blows me away. Is it Idolizing? Or? Well, there's. Birmingham Bertha. Great. There's My Blackbirds or Bluebirds Now. Don't know that. Oh, well, I will play it for you. All right. You must ha you know, look for it and get it for your collection. It's one of the late ones, you know. Dix has already left the band and all that, you know. Right. Take a good look at mine. That's a great one. That's one of the ones that sound like, sounds like McKinney's Cotton Pickers. Take a look, good look at mine. Oh, yeah. There was this debate about... Birmingham Bertha that a lot of people asserted that it was actually McKinney's Cotton Pickers. They really? just slapped Gold Kit's name on it. And that was believed by a lot of jazz cult, you know, buffs for years. It sounds very close to McKinney's Cotton Pickers. But it turns out it's actually not them. It's Gold Kit using Don Redman arrangement. Don right. Redman arranged the, the thing for them. So it's, you know, interesting. Sounds kind of like McKinney's. The giveaway that's not McKinney's, though, is this guy, Harold Stokes, comes in and takes an accordion solo in the middle of Birmingham Bertha. But this one is My Blackbirds or Bluebirds Now. It's also great. This doesn't sound like uh, McKinney's. This is some other arranger. Mm -hmm. 
Aficionados have debated for years what that sound is right at the end of the record. It goes, is it? Is he tearing a piece of silk? What's he doing there? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something tearing. Who knows? My blackbirds or bluebirds out. Great. What about uh, speaking of McKinney's Cotton Pickers? What's your favorite one by them? Gosh, after so all, you're all I'm after now. Love that's a great one. After all, you're all just great. I miss a little miss. Great. I guess, isn't that the other side? That might record? be, yeah. Might be. Do you have that one? Yeah, I have a nice up. brand Beautiful. new copy of that. Yeah? Oh. Yeah. That's a great one, yeah. One of the first old records I ever got was Zonky and If I Could Be With You by McKinney's. It's great, right? Yeah, great. Well, don't let me uh, you pl play what you uh, want to play. I'll play a McKinney's Cotton Pickers record, but it's one of the first records I had too when I was young that I really liked that I found back there in Delaware 
that I wasn't very fond of. And then I traded it to my friend Marty Pauls and didn't get another copy until just recently. No kidding. Huh. Didn't strike you right away. Well, no, I really liked it, but he, he was really good at talking me out of my records. <laughs> <laughs> Beetle on Bum. You ever heard that one? Is it the song Beetle on Bum, like that Ben Covington did? No. No, no. Okay, no, I've never heard it. Gotta get a copy that tune. Of that. 
If do you have It Ain't No Good by Charlie McCoy and the Mississippi Hot Footers. Yes, I do. Same tune. Huh. It ain't no good. It ain't no good. It ain't no good for your son. Do you have any of the Charlie McCoy, like, vocalions, the ones with him and piano? No. Huh. I don't. Really? What are there? those from? When? Yeah. They're early, you know. Yeah. He's playing mandolin with a piano. Gosh. No, I have a couple of the OKs. Oh, the, yeah, the later ones. Yeah, I have those too. Yeah, those 8,000. They have 8, a bluebird. Uh, really? It's pretty good. I've, huh. I'm doing that Sheik's tune. Huh. Uh, what is it? can't remember. How about Fess Williams? You like that band? Oh, I love it. <laughs> great. Yeah, play some more dance orchestras. Okay, like that. Fess Williams. Fess you got any Fess Williams I haven't heard? Uh, well, let's see. Well, it doesn't have to be. I haven't heard. Well, I don't know. Well, what why don't you just pick out your favorite one, and then uh, it doesn't matter if I've heard it or not, since you heard, this is a show for the people. Have you heard Dixie Stomp? No, I have not. This is actually, it's called Fess Williams and his Joy Boys. Really? Usually huh. they're called Fess Williams Royal Flush Orchestra. Right, all the ones I have are the Royal but, Flush. Yeah. For a year, he was fronting this band in Chicago. Dave Payton Orchestra. He was fronting that band for a year in the late 20s in Chicago, and that's where this record comes from. So it's a totally different band. Yeah. yeah. Except for Fess. Right. Fess is on it. Dixie Stomp. All right. Hello, gang! Hello, Fess! Thank you. 
the deal with Fess Williams? I mean, he was kind of like the Gid Tanner of his group. Like, he was like the, the showman band leader, but yeah. couldn't really play. And well, he played this wacky, people, zany people Reed think stuff. You know, clarinet and saxophone, and you say he's... I mean, I play. like it. Oh, I like it, too. Yeah, right? yeah. It's completely but dismissed don't, like, jazz, by jazz the, people. Yeah, 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 the jazz buffs completely dismiss him as a musician, but I like right. his wacky play, and, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's got a lot of humor, and, you know... Great style. Yeah, and feeling, I don't know. It's, it's amazing how it kind of cuts even. through, too. Like, yeah. It's kind band, of powerful in its own way. Yeah, it is. And his band has this combination of, you know, jazz... Dance ability and it's humor that I really think is great yeah, myself. I really, really like it. funny. Yeah, humorous oh. arrangements. I I love their stuff. About um, you ever heard Mississippi Wobble by Jimmy Wade's Dixielanders? Yeah, I yeah. have heard it, but I'd love to hear it. Again. You have it? I don't have it. No, oh. but it's on. I think you burned it for me on a CD. I or did. Something. Okay. But but you got to remember, this is the radio show. For heard other L- people. LMA by uh, Sweet LMA by Earl Hines Orchestra. I have a nice brand new copy oh. of it. It's one of my favorite it's records. Great. I it's listen great. to it yeah. on a regular oh. basis, and I would huh. love it if you played it for the show. Yeah, okay. It's beautiful. Oh yeah, it's great. Heartbreaking, beautiful <laughs> song. <laughs> I agree. It's heartbreakingly beautiful. <laughs>
played you once this record uh, by Frank Black, uh, There's a Rickety Rackety Shack, and you told me you had a, a great version of that, yeah. and uh, I can't remember who it is, I've never heard it. Oh yeah? Huh. You know what I'm talking about? How much time have you got? Uh, the show should be over. Should be over? Yeah, we should <laughs> we're gonna play one more. Alright, I'll play one more. Right. Squeeze in, maybe you can cut some stuff out. Yeah, I mean it doesn't have to be an hour, but yeah, we, you know, we can't, we can't give the people too much for free. You That's know? true. Then they'll all become socialists like you over here in France. They'll start thinking they deserve health care. They'll start thinking they uh, don't right. have to work. They, they want a free education. That's right. Some of them are going to want food and shelter. They're, they're going right. to want to be able to live in peace in a society. And then what will happen? Right. Their expectations will be raised. Yeah. You can't have it. Okay, this is a band mysteriously labeled as the Old Mill Dance Kings. The Old... Old Mill Dance Yeah, that's a on great Silver name. Tone. I'm sure it's a pseudonym, I think. I don't know. Uh, the I, Old Mill Dance Kings. I want to call them the Old Mill Dance Kings. But I don't know. It's like, you know, who could possibly? It's a great band. It's great. They're, there's a rickety rackety shack. Okay. I found this record in Seattle. <laughs>
manufacturing me happily spending hours with a thickery thackery book. Now I hear audio, audio. What is that familiar strain? Oh, I know, oh, I know. Mother calling me again. I'm gonna flippity floppity back like a hippity hoppity toad to my rickety rackety shack by a rickety rockety road. Masterpiece. Incredible. Incredible. Old Mill Dance Kings. <laughs> Incredible. I have to get that record. Well, Planet Earth, this is John Hennigan, Old Time Radio Show, signing out with our special guest, Robert Crumb, who's been bringing you forgotten treasures from days gone by. Thanks for being here. Any final words for the, the people of Earth? I am now leaving Earth and going back to a place where there's no death and taxes. Goodbye, John.